Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Reflections Podcast for First Baptist Church of Washington, Michigan. We're grateful that you've taken the time to listen to our conversation today. And as always, we want to start by reminding you that our conversation is meant to be listened to in the context of Pastor Phil's sermon from this morning. And that is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, perpetuating the faith. So... We are grateful to be able to talk about this passage of Scripture today. Uh, this week, I am joined by Kevin Fitzgerald and David Payton. The gang's all here. Uh, how you doing, Kevin? Doing good. Not going to lie, I, I liked your house better for this podcast. <laughs> the, uh, the seating was maybe a little more comfortable. Um, David, we're, we're willing to forego our soft seating if it means that you can join us. <laughs> That's how much we like you, David. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, brother. Good to be here. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. We're going to start off by reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, Pastor Phil's text from this morning. So, Kevin, start us off. All right. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Amen. Amen. Uh, good passage of scripture today. And uh, right off the bat, uh, today's sermon was kind of like on the idea of um, perpetuating the faith, particularly amongst the younger generation, uh, raising up, whether that's future pastors or just making disciples of those younger than us. And I think the oldest person in this conversation is, what, what are you, David, 34? Well, I'm still a millennial. Uh... Okay. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm 34. Yes. Yeah, oh, wow, David. The money. Da David is our is our resident old man at the age of <laughs> 34. <laughs> uh, so so we're all young men. So a lot of our conversation today is going to come uh, with that as our sort of our perspective as people who have spent most of our lives on the receiving end of this kind of ministry. So uh, any big ideas from today's sermon from you guys? Well, I, I think the one thing to say is that it's, I thought it was a fitting conclusion um, to the study that, that we've been through, this topical study, um, in the sense that it really is a capstone. It's the final call um, that what is the mission of the church, upward and outward or vertically and horizontally, if you will, um, what, is, what is the next step? And the next step is, well, this has to be handed down. Um, so there needs to be a handing off and a, and a onboarding, as it were, by the, the next generation, the younger generation. So it was a, it was a good encouragement, good, good reminder of the importance of, of keeping that, that unbroken chain going. Um, and also just a, an important reminder that this is what the Lord has instituted as the the method of perpetuating the faith and 
that without this, you have the threat of having the candlestick removed from its place. Mm -hmm. If you think of the letters to the churches in Revelation, um, if the faith is not perpetuated to future generations, it's essentially a way to just snuff out the, the, the candlestick. So um, that was a good, good reminder. I think there is um, two things that are kind of the same, but uh, just the excitement of what can happen when you do just faithful ministry with just a few people. Um, I think Pastor Paul also hit on the fact that oftentimes we're, we're all going to be forgotten one day unless, you know, some anomaly happens and we get our names written in a history book somewhere. But even like the genealogies in the Bible, I know like back when I was an intern and we would read scripture and sometimes you get to those genealogies and I know, Pastor Phil always highlighted the fact that, you know, these people served and they're just a name and a page somewhere. Um, but we underrate, and this is goes probably goes across the board to many things, the, the importance or what can be accomplished with consistency and persistence, or we could just say faithfulness. And just like saving money, if you put $20 a week, it doesn't seem that much, but over the course of a long time, consistently putting $20 a week, just an example, you'll have something big. And consistently and faithfully, investing in one or two or three people can have effects across generations. And so I think that was a, a thing that was highlighted to me is the importance of faithful behind the scenes discipleship that we tend to discount those things as opposed to something we can do in front of some somebody or we get these big grand ideas, which are good, but just a consistent faithful effort pouring into somebody else, teaching them can have great effects. And really is like David, you're saying, vitally important to the continuing of our church and the planning of churches and the mission of God, which we've been talking about throughout this whole series. There's a book uh, that I just came across the other day that is kind of going across this, going along the lines of the same thing you were just talking about, Kevin. Um, it's written by a guy named Don Carson, which if you're, if you've never heard the name Don Carson, um, he is one of the brightest minds in New Testament studies that's out there today. Uh, he's out of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School down in uh, Chicago. He has this huge ministry. He's written some of the most famous commentaries on uh, John in particular. Just an absolute brain. And he wrote a book. Oh, I don't know how long ago. He wrote a book. It's called something along the lines of like Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. And it's about his dad, who is this no-name guy who served faithfully in, like, French-speaking, uh, like, Quebec. And, like, through a bunch of political turmoil and a bunch of religious unrest and just was a faithful guy who continued to lovingly preach the gospel to his people and continued to be a faithful minister. And like you were saying, Kevin, a lot of times we don't, we don't remember those people, but those people can have such a tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. And you think about a guy who was kind of a no name, but he was faithful and he did, you know, he served the Lord well through his whole life. And his son has impacted hundreds, if not thousands of uh, of ministers of the gospel uh, throughout the last few decades. Uh, just uh, so, yes, there's a, there's an anecdote I think that goes along with that. Yeah, I I thought another another preacher is a little bit older, but uh, Charles Simeon. Mm -hmm. I know that you know he's a familiar name maybe to 
people who are in seminary or something, but <laughs> um, talk about another guy who was just, and even some of the things that Pastor Phil was talking about this morning, but serving through like a soldier or a farmer, just embracing the grind and the suffering. Like this pastor, Charles Simeon, uh, he was kept out, locked out of his church for 12 years and had pews locked when they used to have people that own their pews. Um, they lock them out for a Sunday night. So, I mean, like every turn, this guy was getting a whack after whack. And yet he faithfully continued to preach to those who would listen. And at the time of his death, he had impacted many students at a nearby university and just thousands of people at his funeral. And then he, again, he was forgotten until his writings were discovered again. And it's just like this faithful man who was a nobody and nobody really wanted him as their pastor through his faithfulness, many were touched and are continuing to be touched by his writings even today, hundreds of years later. I think that's just something that really stuck out to me this morning, the idea of faithfulness, Hmm. putting our shoulder to the plow every morning, like the milking the cows. (laughs) It was a good good example this morning. Yeah, and that's, uh, we we are in a unique age a time in life, I guess, where we've been the benefits, we, we've been the beneficiaries of this kind of ministry. Uh, so I was wondering, I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, maybe you could talk about like someone who did this for you, someone who invested in you um, and helped train you up and made you into the kind of Christian that you are today. I mean, the easy one for me would probably just be my my dad um, spending time getting me to read the Bible. My my dad and mom together spent a lot of time when we were young getting us into the word, even when we didn't want to. And even sometimes as, you know, they weren't rewarding us, but they were, you know, make us read our Bible. Um, but then even going on to that, my dad talking about uh, ministry and his philosophy of ministry, giving me good books I like to read. And he, you know, just perpetually talking about the things in the books um, so I definitely put that out as number one as somebody who has, if anybody has shaped my life and my view on ministry, I'd be my dad, but in college specifically being away, um, Kyle and I had some of the same friends and my freshman year, I kind of just, you know, first year away from home, I went to church, but I was there, you know, right when it started and left right when it ended, didn't really, that's kind of ended my church, uh, involvement. And we had, I had to, somebody who took an interest in me. Um, on my floor there at college and another one his friend and then his dad who was the pastor and that kind of shaped me for three years out of my college and really I think had a huge impact of where I am today at, from the beginning of college to where I am that I want to serve in church that I want to go in the ministry and that I'm not out you know wasting my time um, doing things that would not be pleasing to the Lord I think that really had a huge impact those guys just taking some scrubby uh, freshmen there's lots of stories about that um, but taking me to church having difficult conversations and really staying on top of my back in ways that I didn't always appreciate or want at the time, but that were hugely beneficial um, from who I am today. Hmm. David. Yeah. um, I think, you know, one of the things to say is that it's, it's a, it should be at least it should be the privilege of every Christian young man to be able to say that my dad was mm. my he was my spiritual father as well as my physical father and i can really say that that's the case uh, for me my my dad was very definitely uh, one of the primary influences of my of my faith 
Um, and it was just the, he, as I liked what you said, Kevin, that he embraced the grind. Um, just regularly reading the word and family worship to us. Um, he would, he would take my brother and I out to the golf course, for instance, and we'd go out and we'd just walk around the golf course, maybe hitting a few balls occasionally, but he would take us out and he would, he would teach us uh, the principles of, of the character of God and uh, various truths from scripture, just all sorts. And um, so I, I think that, uh, that that's the, the obvious and first answer for me. So I appreciate my dad as being um, representative of what Paul was to Timothy. Um, and as I think as many men throughout church history should, will be able to point to their, their physical fathers, their earthly fathers as their, as a significant influence. Um, but then there was another, another man that was very influential in my early uh, Christian walk. His name is uh, Irving Steggles. And um, he, he's a, he was, he actually recently passed away. Um, he was our pastor back in South Africa uh, from 2007 through to 2011 or so when I got married and then moved uh, geographically. So then we had to move churches. Um, and he, he was a British bachelor and uh, he, he was a very eccentric man. Um, he was single his whole life, but he loved the Lord. Um, he was very unusual, very, very strange fellow, actually, um, but very lovable and very enthusiastic. He, what he did with uh, my brother and I, is he, he, saw, he saw that there was spiritual life and interest to nurture in us. And he, he invited us along to a, uh, it was a, like a pastoral missions trip, as it were. It was actually a trip up to Botswana, which is part of Southern Africa. Um, and he was going to be the speaker at, event, at an event there. But he took us along for the journey. And along the way, he, uh, he had just limitless energy. And he would, like, into literally 12 at night, one in the morning, he would be speaking with us about theological matters and in the car, you know, along the way. And it just stuck with me that here's a dedicated man. I saw him in highs and lows and he, he, he brought us along for the ride. And there were many other occasions similar to that. Um, and he recently passed away and there's a dedication page to him on Facebook where hundreds of people have commented about how he, was like a spiritual father to them, um, handing down truths and principles to them, uh, instructing them in sound doctrine. And it's incredible to see how he's got hundreds of, of tokens of appreciation for the influence that he's had in people's lives. Um, so may the Lord, you know, make us such vessels that uh, we'll, we'll one day die and have many rise up and call us blessed, but not because we anything, but because we've uh, handed down the truths of the master um, and that we're just simply following in his footsteps. So just a quick observation from something that both of you guys have said. 
if we want to raise up the next generation, whether that is of pastors or of godly Christians generally, it sounds like the best place to start is the home. <laughs> is that, would you say that's, that's a fair application of what you guys have, what you guys have experienced and said? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I think you can, and it's not a one for one, you know, thing that I, you know, I know other people that don't have good parents that have done great things mm. but i think as a general principle that is a huge you know your kids will go to extreme if you are you know i just heard this yesterday and i don't again this is not like bible but if you do something in moderation your kids will do it in excess mm. as a situation i was talking to somebody about and that does tend to be the case that your kids will either if you don't go to church or you're not i think we've talked about this before on the podcast if you are not super faithful to church you're kind of a nominal um, church member, then your kids will not go to church and your grandkids will, you know, you killed your grandkids, basically. I think we talked about that yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think a like the anecdote for me of someone who did this to me goes back to um, my youth pastor all through high school. Uh, it was a guy named Jonas Harley. Um, and Jonas came into our youth group and he was young, like he was younger when he started than I am today. Hmm. Um, he was freshly married, um, started out as the youth pastor of the church and began investing in this horribly nerdy little seventh grade boy who would come sit in his room and would talk about baseball. And over time that morphed into talking about ministry, talking about preaching, talking about um, different struggles that I had. And what ended up happening was over time through his careful investment, um, he trained me in a lot of ways of how to think about life in church. I still, there, there's a, there's a particular instance uh, that sticks in my mind where I, I would say one of the, one of the things this is kind of a bit of a rabbit trail, hopefully not a long one. Um, but one of, one of the elements of raising up the next generation, uh, Pastor Phil talked about letting them in close, uh, letting them see your flaws and failures. This also means dealing front door with some of theirs um, when, you're, when you're training someone else and they're being foolish. You sometimes have to kind of grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, hey, you're being foolish. You need to cut it out. And that was one, one instance in my mind that has stuck with me for years was when uh, our church changed the format of our bulletin. And as this stupid little, like, I think it was like a freshman in high school. And uh, I was irritated. I didn't like it. And I bad-mouthed it, and I was saying all this stuff. And finally, Jonas grabbed me, and he took me out of the youth room. He actually even took me out of the building. And we stood on the like the fire escape terrace. And he was like, Kyle, I haven't heard you say one positive thing yet today. You realize this is the kind of stuff that splits churches? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and and that stuck with me. Here's this guy who was willing to, to look look me in the eye and say you are being sinful and your attitude is so dangerous to the life of the church. And it was that kind of loving interaction stuck with me for 
has stuck with me for years. Um, and uh, this guy has since moved away. He's not at that church anymore. Uh, but, you know, God has still used him in my life in huge ways. Uh, so for those of you who minister in relative anonymity, there is great benefit that you might have, uh, great value in that kind of faithful ministry. Um, so if I could kind of use that as a segue and kind of ask you guys for some, some of the same things, what have been like some particularly helpful things that people have done as they've invested in you? Like what specifically was been, has been helpful for, for you? Well, I, can I be a bit of a maverick and answer the first question that Kevin answered, um, which was the question was that this should begin in the home. And I just wanted to reference uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, this is referring to the qualifications of, of overseers or elders. Mm -hmm. And verse 4, he says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, was, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Um, and that's an important principle from the lesser to the greater, as it were. So it, at least in terms of size. So a, a family is, is, a, a more, is a smaller, arguably more manageable unit. And when you come to the church, how are you going to care for the church if you don't have the same kind of care and order and discipline in the home? Um, and it really should be always that way. You know, the, I've seen in churches in the past patterns where people are dedicated to, to intergenerational ministry, and yet their home life is so disorderly that it, it, just, it just is incongruous to see that. Um, and so, yes, that's just a, a plug uh, for the biblical order that uh, we, we ought to always maintain. Um, and maintaining that, then it becomes a good foundation from which the springboard is to be able to do the works of service and ministry in the church itself. So start at home and let it spread, spread out. Amen. So now back to your question, Kyle, could you repeat it? <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for jumping in there as the, as the resident parent, it's always <laughs> good to, uh, it's always good to, to hear your input on family life. Um, what, what are some specific things that some, that people have done as they've invested in you? What are some specific things that you found to be most helpful? Maybe like, like the stuff that stuck with you. Um, the, the, emphases that people had what what has stuck with you that are like i guess practical ideas for ways to invest in the next generation i think i know specifically with my dad i think the thing that stuck with me the most is um honesty and that goes across a lot of different things i think it brings in some of the aspects of what he was talking about this morning letting people get close to you and you know can't get any closer than your dad because you live with them. So you see the good and the bad, but also with just things across the board, uh, specifically growing up when hard things happened. Um, I know with me that he didn't shy back from sharing appropriate details without going into, you know, divulging things that should be confidential. 
But if I had hard questions to ask him, he never dodged the bullet, as it were. And even if he didn't know the answer at the time, then he would come back and let me know. And I think that's something that um, he made himself vulnerable a number of times. And that honesty, I think that builds trust more than anything else in a relationship where you want to pour into somebody else. You have to earn that ability. Sometimes people just are looking for that. Um, but they're often not looking for everything that you have to offer <laughs> that you think is helpful. Um, but that honesty um, and that openness, I know went miles in me respecting him and taking what he has to say, even if sometimes I didn't agree with it, but at least taking it in and knowing the fact that, okay, this guy's being straight up with me, no matter what. I know that even if he says something I disagree with, um, he's not like trying to play me or, you know, get one over me. And I think that is a huge thing. Even like being down at college with people on your hall, if you're not honest with people, you know, the guys that were there on my hall that I was, you know, supposed to counsel responsible for, then you don't, you don't get anywhere. So. I would say that, that one of the, probably the most helpful uh, direct pieces of, of, example and counsel that I've received in terms of how to conduct yourself as a Christian um, is, is the, the principle of how to be a good confessor of sin to your neighbor. Um, there is a, there's a pattern in, in modern culture that apologizes uh, for in a way that that just actually aggravates the woe you know so the way the way people will will sometimes confess sin to each other is um please you know forgive me if i have offended you i mean i just want to blow up when i hear that <laughs> sorry <laughs> i mean it's that's a non-confession you know the the biblical position is that when you confess, the word confess in scripture means to speak the same thing, to say the same word. So when, when confessing sin, this is what I learned from one of my mentors, is that you must speak the same word as what God would say about your sin. Um, and something to the effect of, you know, I have sinned against you, brother or sister. Um, please will you forgive me? That, that kind of language is far more helpful to the restoring of a relationship or to the resolution of a conflict than, um, you know, I, I apologize or um, please forgive me if, um, or I apologize, but, you know, the, 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 the idea of confession should be something that is just, I've sinned, please forgive me, full stop, nothing more, no, no, no sense of, but, and, you know, you did this wrong. Uh, the, the idea of confession really is just an, a, a, it's an open-handed, um, I was wrong situation. And that, that has really proved to be immensely important in marriage, um, especially as a man in marriage. I, I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's the way that the Lord has, structured the the psychosocial makeup of the universe but men must be the ones that take the lead in conflict re resolution 
that's the pattern, uh, I suppose, biblically. But but that was a, a very important principle that really was taught to me by an older man, um, both by example and by you know exhortation, and and that was um, it. You know that kind of thing doesn't really come out necessarily in like sermon series or that kind of thing. It really comes out by example of observation. Um, and it's a, it's a good lesson to learn. So it's certainly something that I'll be handing down to any younger men um, or children under my care. Amen. Well, as we, uh, we begin to come to a close uh, of our episode today, um, any final thoughts? from any of you guys, anything we didn't really touch base on that you wanted to particularly mention tonight? And I think um, having Christ's example on his, I mean, that's kind of a cliche thing, but when you look at his ministry with his disciples, even um, that gives us fuel to do what we've been called to do. Cause he had a smaller group. And even though with the crowds, he only had a really small group that really followed him. And even within that, he had his, you know, his few, the choice. Um, but really the effects of his ministry were not felt until, you know, after and when the church exploded. And now, I mean, you think about where Christianity was is today from where it started in just that small Israel. And I know we're obviously not Christ, um, but we've been called to do a lot of the same things. And faithful investing will be honored um, in one way or another by the king. I was going to say that I think a useful exercise, and I've done this in the past, um, is to actually just pick up two Timothy and perhaps pick up a study Bible as well. Um, the ESV study Bible is helpful um, or any other, just to get some idea of the context of, of two Timothy chapter one, knowing who wrote it and in what context, namely Paul writing it to Timothy as his final charge to this young man um, Paul's imprisoned. He knows he's going to be executed. And these are the final words that he writes to this young man, this protege. Um, and with that in mind, read it. And I think I've just almost uh, the exercise I did some time ago and did it free, a few times over, it was very beneficial and, and, and stimulating spiritually to just to pause and consider the magnitude of what he's writing. Um, you know, just one verse that sticks out to me is verse eight of chapter one. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And uh, he goes on, and it's a, it's a glorious book and letter to read in one sitting. I'd recommend that, actually. Read the whole thing just in one sitting to get a sense. This is a letter that he's written to his, his young friend and protege. Um, and we do well to put ourselves in Timothy's shoes and get a sense of not only the magnitude and glory of this message, but
but how important it is to hand it on to the next. So. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for having this conversation. Thank you to our listeners for listening to it. And as always, we want to close by reminding you that you can find more episodes of the podcast and sermons and devotionals on our blog at fbcwm.org. And Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another episode.